It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and thank you for joining me on this glorious summer weekend in July. This week I did a little bit of touring, and I thought I would take you on a bit of that trip uh, to a place that at one point in time was known to be one of the greatest fisheries, wetland and waterfowl and shorebird areas on the continent. And it's not that far from here. It's a trip that we don't think of much in the Chicago area because we tend to go to northern Wisconsin or we go across the lake to Michigan or we head around the bottom of the lake up into along the lake shore in Indiana. But there's an incredible piece of, of recreation real estate, particularly for boating. And that is from La Crosse to Red Wing, Minnesota, and in particular, the heart of it is Lake City, Minnesota, where, where of course, um, the biggest uh, freshwater lake in the Mississippi River, Lake Pepin, is located. Uh, it's 22 miles long. It's two miles wide. And it's a place I've had the pleasure of going many times. Uh, the interesting thing about this is, is not only is it a, it's an absolutely awesome Lake Pepin, it's an awesome boating uh, lake for sailboats and power boats, and it's beautiful from one end to the other. It's 22 miles. But what really made Lake Pepin famous, and I'm going to go back to the 1850s to start, and and I'll walk you through here, but it's, it's a place, if you haven't been there in the summer or the fall, I would certainly put it on your bucket list, particularly in the fall, the, the colors on the Wisconsin side and the, and the, and the Minnesota side are just spectacular, and I've had the pleasure of being there in the fall and, and in the summer. It's about uh, four hours to Lake City from uh, Chicago. It's about a five-hour drive, maybe a little over a five-hour drive. But anyway, Frontenac, old Frontenac, sits up on a bluff, commanding view of Lake Pepin, and old Frontenac started in the, well, really in the 1850s, it began, uh, with people coming there to hunt. And the funny thing is, if Norman Rockwell had ever vi- visited Old Frontenac, it would have been one of his classic paintings. And I have had the good pleasure of visiting it many times as my great friend Bill Webster, who was the founder of Wild Wings. Unfortunately, he is deceased now. Uh, he lived there, and he, his family had lived there for a very long time, so over 100 years of Webster's in Old Frontenac. But it's a, it's not even a, t- it is a town. It was incorporated as a town, but it's, it's four blocks of gravel roads with absolutely Norm Rockwellian painted wood clabbered white houses, dark roofs. It, it's exactly as it was in 1870. But what made Old Frontenac so famous was, I believe an individual from Cincinnati went there and purchased the land because of its hunting. And he would go there spring and fall to duck hunt and shorebird hunt on what was is today Lake Pepin. It was Lake Pepin at that time. Uh, and the hunting was spectacular. And Lake Pepin was a place where canvasbacks came by the 
probably the hundreds of thousands. Today, if there are a thousand canvasbacks on Lake Pepin in the fall or the spring, that's probably a big day. Shorebirds were in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands along Lake Pepin, not the millions over the course of a fall and spring along the shallows of the Mississippi River, which then went down into the big marshes around La Crosse. But it was for waterfowl hunting that people came to Lake Pepin and Old Frontenac became a, a hunting lodge to begin with. And then it was members of his family built what became summer estates. And those estates now are, are lived in by people who live in Milwaukee or Minneapolis, and they use them as summer homes. It's a spectac- if you haven't been there and you love the old history of the Midwest, put, put Old Frontenac, it's five miles north of Lake City, on your, on your list. Um, you can't park. There's no parking. Up on top of the bluff, there is parking. There's a park and a beach in the bottom of the bluff, and you can certainly park there and, and walk on up. But it's a place that's very private, and it's absolutely beautiful. Lake City itself was a became a originally it was a boating location to move uh, trade up and down the Mississippi, and then the railroad ran through it. But in its early days, ducks and geese and shorebirds were spring and fall shipped out of Lake City by the by the salted barrels. Just incredible numbers of birds, and the old records going from the mid 1850s all the way really through to to the early 1900s of the commercial harvest or slaughter, depending on how you want to look at it, the commercial sale of ducks and geese and shorebirds out of out of Lake Pepin uh, and with Lake City and La Crosse being the, the major shipping points is, is mind-boggling. We think of the Illinois River and, and all the commercial for the market, when I say commercial market hunting that took place on the Illinois River, the upper Mississippi uh, was was an equal match for the Illinois. It, it may not have become as famous as the Illinois. In fact, it did not become as famous as the Illinois River for decoy carvers by Graves and Purdue and Ellison, which came out of Illinois and, of course, are world famous. And someday I should talk about the, the incredible decoy museum in, in Peoria at the Peoria Science Center. It's 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 one of the best in the world, certainly um, certainly the best in the Midwest, and it's getting better all the time. But the, but the Lake Pepin area, for whatever reason, did not have that kind of decoy carving heritage and didn't, and didn't, didn't have the heritage of duck clubs that the Illinois River has. But Lake Pepin today, that was then, in its pristine state, wild celery beds, and, and as I said, birds in unfathomable numbers to us today. But particularly, it was the wild celery and the wild grasses and the crystal clear water that made Lake Pepin this this magical, and it was quite a breeding place, too, for, for waterfowl and shorebirds, this magical place. Today, Lake Pepin is, is still magical, and that's the part I'm talking about now because we're not going back to the eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. We're not going back to market hunting, and if you're a bird watcher, Lake Pepin for waterfowl and shorebirds is probably not the place you want to go. But if you like to watch bald eagles, it's the place to go. We saw a number of bald eagles, in fact, one on a tree, probably not 20 feet from me at the, at the marina at, uh, at, at Lake City this past week. But it's today, if you go to Lake City, which is pretty much the hub of, of action on, on Lake Pepin, um, you can sail the lake, as I said, is 22 miles long and two miles wide. It's, 
it's spectacular with high bluffs on both sides. You can sail. They have they have legitimate old river paddleboard boats. Uh, you can fish. The fishing is quite good for walleye in particular. In its original time frame of uh, history, before the Army Corps of Engineers, and you all know how much I love the Army Corps of Engineers, before the Army Corps of Engineers started to make work up there, Lake Pepin was a place that was filled with sturgeon, sturgeon being prehistoric fish, and they grew to incredible size. Lake Pepin was actually formed by the merging of a river south of Lake Pepin and La Crosse that caused the sandbar to go across the Mississippi, and it shallowed up the Mississippi River, and it formed Lake Pepin. That sandbar formed Lake Pepin. It didn't literally go above ground. I suppose when the river was low, it probably did, but above water level, but but it, it caused enough of a shoal that the lake backed up and Lake Pepin was formed, but the sturgeon would run up, and the paddlefish would run up and down the Mississippi River from the headwaters practically, well, in fact, from the headwaters, down through, all the way down through the northern part of Iowa. They were a migratory fish, and they grew to just prodigious size, and they lived. Several hundred-year-old sturgeon were not uncommon. Of course, when the Corps of Engineers got busy and they built the big lock and dam at uh, La Crosse, that ended the sturgeon migration. They couldn't move north and they couldn't move south. Today, there's no sturgeon in Lake Pepin, but it's a great walleye fishing lake. But more than anything else, it's, it's an incredibly scenic lake. And if you're there in the summer, you've got the green hills of, of both Minnesota and Wisconsin. And if you're there in the fall, you see some of the greatest colors, the most spectacular colors you could ever want to see, fall colors from La Crosse up to Red Wing. Unfortunately, as I said, you're not going to see a lot of waterfowl or shorebirds. That's a part of our history we're never going to get back because the food source that brought them to Lake Pepin is long gone. The lake is, is not what it was. It's actually just a huge lake in the Mississippi River. I'll be back in just a moment. When I do, I'm going to talk about a really interesting story that appeared in the Daily Herald that uh, I'm going to just throw some things out and see if you agree with me or not. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And if you're just joining me, I'm going to talk about an article in the Daily Herald that I thought was, was interesting. Maybe not accurate. We'll, we'll find time will tell. And uh, thank you for listening with me. If you've been on the show, 
does it start about what a great road trip it is to go up to Lake up to Lake Pepin at at uh, Lake City and boating and biking and hiking and just incredible scenery. Anyway, the Daily Herald recently ran a headline. Study identifies Waukegan coal plant as potential flooding contamination risk. Uh, the headline caught my attention, but what the article said really caught my attention because the article was said based upon climate change. And again, I do not, as you know, have never taken a position on this show as to whether we're having climate change, not having climate change, whether it's man caused or whatever. I just put out information and know all of you are plenty capable of coming to your own conclusions. So this headline, climate change will cause the Great Lake, Lake Michigan to rise and could imperil the infrastructure where the holding tanks are at two closed power plants in Waukegan, rendering a just an environmental disaster for the southern end of Lake Michigan. So why did that headline catch my attention? Because I'm not so sure if we have global warming that Lake Michigan actually is going to rise in water level. It's quite possible, based upon people I've talked to and read with, that the lake actually will fall. According to the information I have, the number one determinant for the level of the water in Lake Michigan is the amount of ice and snow that falls on Lake Superior. In cold weather years, winters, when Lake Superior freezes, there's no evaporation. And eventually Lake Michigan goes up because Lake Superior's water comes south to Lake Michigan. In warm weather winters, Lake, Mich Lake Superior has quite a bit of evaporation. And therefore, the amount of water that's coming south into Lake Michigan is reduced over time. So it's hard for me to understand how if we are having global warming, Lake Michigan is going to rise. But with that said, this story is predicated on the fact that it's going to rise. And the range of the lake, um, the highest the lake has been um, in the last four decades was 582 feet. Well, this study says that the lake could get to 584 feet. But the lake has not been at 584 feet, according to what we know, we weren't here then, for the last 1,500 years. It hasn't been at that height. And the study goes on to say it could go as high as 589 feet. I don't know how this is going to occur, but it is one of the things that just makes you ask, maybe, maybe what there, there's, you know, there's, there's more than what you read. So this article was put together by a group that basically wants to have environmental remediation take place in the closed coal-fired power plants of Waukegan because it says the holding ponds are going to be susceptible to flooding. I, I just, I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying I think there are a fair number of people of credibility who actually think the chances are Lake Michigan's going to go lower if we indeed have global warming than higher. So I just bring that to the question. I don't know that any of us are going to be around here. We have seen, we have seen the lake go up and down enormously 
in the last, well, in the course of our lifetime, the last 40 years or 50 years, uh, not that long ago in the late 60s and early 70s, they were talking about building the outer drive in Chicago higher because the lake was going to flood it. Um, and then we reached all-time record heights uh, recently of, of uh, 582 feet, and we, we were as low in 2013 as 576 feet. Um, so the lake is moving up and down, and what the article does say is that we really don't know but these are possible projections. So if you read the article or you believe that we're about to have imminent flooding, um, it might be that we have imminent flooding because we have really cold winters and Lake Superior has a lot of snow and ice as opposed to really warm open winters. But with that said, I'm going to switch to the topic, of course, which is on the, you can't turn on the news without hearing about Europe and Europe, you know, the record heat, the 104 degrees in London. And again, I'm not taking a position one way or the other way. I just find it interesting that one of the leading scientists um, who works for the Imperial College of London by the name of Frederick Otto was quoted as saying, it would have been almost impossible to see temperatures of 40 degrees Fahrenheit, excuse me, 40 degrees Celsius in London without climate change. And they reached 40 degrees Celsius earlier this week as, as it made worldwide news. So a little bit of research says that they were very close to 40 degrees Celsius in the 1880s and that there was an extended heat wave that went through Europe at that point in time. So a degree Celsius is 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit. That's not a big deal. It was within a degree of that, of that record. So for over 140 years, as I understand it, up until recently, that record of the 1880s was not broken in London. And if I'm wrong, please correct me, but that's what I understand. So in the 1880s, people were not talking about man-made climate change, and yet the temperature at that point in time reached just within a breath of where it went this, this week in, in London and across Europe. Again, I only say these things not to say one side is right and the other is wrong, but we tend to be so dramatic, and we are in this 27, you know, 24-7, 365 news cycle, and we've got to make news. And we tend to, to not look back at history and, and, and pull some things out that are important. So whether the, this scientist is right or wrong, that climate change is the only way we could get to this temperature. I don't know what was happening in the 1880s when we basically got there as well. Thank you for listening. Hope you find it interesting. You can make up your own minds. I'll be back next week, next Sunday, with much more in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.